Now, we've been over the last few weeks, we've been doing a series. Now, we've kind of tagged this in and we've, we've connected and Todd and I have connected this in with the other series that we just came through. What do you really want? And we began to talk about this idea that what all of us really want in our lives is to have peace. That ability to take a deep breath in, let it out, and to know that life is going to be all right. We want that ability to have peace, that ability to stop and say, at the end of my day, I can put my head on my pillow and I can go to sleep. And so we began talking about this idea of how to have peace, how to have peace at home, how to have peace at work. And Todd and I have began a series dealing with this idea, how to have peace within our finances. And so we started this idea of how to have peace in our finances is that we need to first start with an idea of changing our mindset about what we have, about the stuff we own going from being mine for my consumption to being something that I have been given to look after. And we began to say, if you want to begin to gain peace in your life, you need to begin to get a place where you see yourself not as an owner, but as a steward, as someone who looks after something that God has provided. Todd went on to good deal with this idea. If you want to begin to have peace in your finances, you've got to begin to get to a place where you're not controlled and manipulated by the debt we have that we've got to somehow gain control of that and try to pull ourselves out of it and begin to ask ourselves questions. Well, what's really going on with this debt? Who am I trying to impress? Who, who's really, what's this all about? And we began to give us a series of questions to begin to ask. We then began to deal with this idea and we began to talk about, well, if you want to gain financial peace, you've got to begin to create a margin. You've got to begin to give a margin in your life. In other words, that peace is about the spot from how much I owe. I should say it's that spot we have left after we pay our bills. That's where we find our financial peace. When everything has been taken care of, and I have that little bit left over, the size of that margin determines the amount of peace you will have in your life. And so we began to deal with this idea, if you want financial peace, you need to learn to begin to set something aside and create a margin in your life. Last week, Todd began to just finish this off a little bit, and he began to deal with this idea. Financial peace also deals with an idea of learning to be generous. We know where our heart is at by what we put our money to. If we say we believe in something, if we say that, we love something, we will truly know that if we open our checkbooks and we have something that says, yes, I do believe in it. If you believe that there are animals around this world that need to be saved, you will do something about it. You will open your checkbook and write to an organization. If you believe there are children in the world who need clean water and food, you will open your checkbook and you will do something about it. If you believe there are people and there's stuff that needs to be done, what you truly believe in, your finances will follow what you believe in. And so Todd began to say, look, financial peace begins to come when we do more than simply consume upon ourselves, but allow our finances to become and to do the talking for us.
But we're going to go one step farther today. In fact, today we're going to conclude this series. And we're going to talk about learning to leave a legacy. I was listening to this last week, and I've got to admit, I do quite regularly listen to Dave Ramsey. He, um, I, I, I've got to be dead honest with you. I do not follow all of his plans, but he does stop and he encourages me and he inspires me to continue to stop and try to keep out of debt and stay out of debt and save. And, and he encourages me in that, in that regard. So I listen to him quite regularly. But this last week as I was listening to him, there was someone who was talking about how the American dream has died. And of course, that sets Dave Ramsey off. If you guys ever listen to Dave Ramsey, you know that sets him off because he firmly believes the American dream is still firmly alive and is attainable. But when we begin to talk about the American dream, we all have it, don't we? I mean, there's this idea that all of us want to be able to get a good education. We want our kids to be able to have a good education. We want them to be able to get a good job. We want them to be able to afford to buy a nice car and to buy a really good house. And for a lot of people, this is their idea of what the American dream looks like. Now, all of us know this. The American dream is not free. It costs, and it has cost a lot of people a lot. In fact, sometimes we know this American dream is so not free that we will take out loans to get it. And we all find ourselves kind of in that cycle where, you know what, we get the education. We take out the loan, we buy a good car, we get a good house, we work hard, we put in the blood, sweat, and tears, and, and we strive in a career to get somewhere. And if we're fortunate enough, if you're moving ahead really quick in your life, somewhere in your 30s, you begin to make a bit of a, a dent in your dream. And you kind of hope by the time you're in your 40s, you're kind of sitting kind of halfway comfortable in your dream. And by the time you're in your 50s and 60s, you can begin to rest in that dream. And by the time you turn 70, you kind of hope, yeah, life is good. It's not really the American dream, is it, though? Because here's the reality. It's the human dream. We call it the American dream, but the truth is this. It's a dream that most people yearn for all over this world. Having lived in Australia for the last 20 years, I can guarantee you this, they too have the exact same dream. And they too will go to extraordinary lengths to achieve and to be able to have a little slice of that dream. You know, this is not a modern phenomenon that we're living through. This idea of a dream of being able to work hard to achieve and to have something at the end of your life is something that was very familiar with even in Jesus's day. In fact, Jesus told a story about a young guy who in a sense had lived out or had found out how to achieve what we would call the American dream. In fact, I want to start today by reading a little bit of his story. And so I'm going to have Dave, go ahead and put that up there for me. And it says this. Then he told them a story. Well, I told you it was a story, and we're getting told it's a story. There was a rich man who had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? 
I don't have room for all my crops. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. Let's go to the next slide. Verse 19. And then I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you've achieved it all. Okay, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now a little bit. But that's basically what he's saying. My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. You see, Jesus understood this American dream so well because he began to talk about it. Over 2,000 years ago, he began to tell us a story about a man who didn't just have the dream. He lived the dream. And so, you know, if we were to stop and put this into our day-to-day, here's what we understand about this young man. I mean, he had done it right. And, And by the way, as we talk about this young man, understand he did everything right. I mean, seriously, if we're talking financially, he did it right. He bought the right farm. You see, he knew what it was to have the right farm in the right place to make sure your soil structure was right. He knew what it was like to stop and he'd make sure your drainage is right, that you don't have spots that are too dry, you don't have spots that are swampy. He made sure he was in a spot where he could get his crops to, his, to the market as quick as he could. You see, he bought right. He didn't just bought right, he knew his business. Here's a young man that Jesus begins to tell a story about that he knew his business well. He knew what crops needed to be planted at what time in order to achieve the best results from his farm. He's doing it right. He's a bright young man. Jesus tells this story. Here's this bright young guy. He's done it right. He's bought the right farm. He knows his business. He's planting the right seed. In fact, he values hard work. We know that. We kind of get that scenario all the way through here. Here's a guy who's not afraid to to roll up his sleeves and get a little dirt under his fingernails. He's a guy who values hard work. He isn't afraid to stop and get his hands dirty. This man is what we would stop and say, yeah, I want to be like him. But this guy was more than that. He didn't just work hard. He didn't just buy the right farm. He knew what the value of saving was. He knew that in all of our lives, there are rough times. And so he set aside barns and he saved and he saved. He didn't spend all his profits quickly. And the brilliant thing is, is here's a young guy who, as we're looking through the story, and we can just stop and say, look, if we're looking at this today, this guy has done it the right way. Because he turns around and he begins to reinvest in his own business. In other words, when his barns get full, he does what? He reinvests. Let's build bigger barns. Let's make sure we're on the right track. Now, everything he did was financially right. He ended up with a bank full of cash. In fact, if you're getting ready to start a business, I recommend you take some financial principles from this young guy. If he was around today, we would probably compare him to somebody a bit like Bill Gates. We might even compare him to someone like um, Warren Buffett, 
or even Dave Ramsey, if you're a follower of Dave Ramsey. This guy has done it right. He's worked hard. He's invested right. He's done all the things he's supposed to do. He's reinvested. Look, he's done it right. And so all I can say is from a financial point of view, this guy has achieved everything he was supposed to have achieved. He was a success. But as Jesus begins to look at the story, he begins to unfold something. And he stops and he says, look, instead of praising this young guy for your brilliance, your, your, your financial savvy, he gets a little blunt in his language about this guy who was chasing his American dream. In fact, let's go ahead and put it up here. But God says to him, well done, you great and awesome political savvy guy or financial savvy guy. You've done it right. Well, no, he doesn't actually say that. He's a little blunt. In fact, he says something that I don't even let my kids call each other. But he said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then whose will these things be that you have worked so hard for? So he gets to a point where he says this. The guy may have done it all right, but he missed something. Jesus began to look out at his crowd and he began to say, you know, I'm telling you the story about this guy who has achieved his dream. He's done it right. He hasn't stolen. He hasn't stopped and cheated. He hasn't frauded anyone out of their money. He's done it right, but he's missed something. And that one thing that he has missed has led him to be very foolish. You know, I imagine today if we were talking to this guy, I think he'd be saying, what do you mean? How could I be foolish? I've, I've taken care of every scenario. I've thought through every issue. We've planned for the future. We're ready for any hard time, any drought that comes through. We're ready. How can I be foolish? And basically what Jesus begins to do is he began to say this. There's a young guy who's foolish because all he began to do was truly begin to live for today. He saw today only as that what he was focusing on. Now, Jesus is not condemning this young man for having a barn full of wheat and, and a lot of money. That is not what this condemnation is about. But in other words, he was saying this, you've so got caught on today that you forgot there is a coming a time when it is all going to end and you're gonna leave something behind you. In other words, this guy had worked hard, he played hard, and he began, he continued to stop and he continued to build this legacy of wealth. He was ready for anything that was going to come on after him. And he knew that, hey, it's my right. I've worked for this. It's mine to consume. And it was. But he began to believe that his money was going to be the savior of all of his problems. Anything that life could throw out, money was going to solve it. And we know 
That's not the case. So first of all, this young man began living only for today. But really, when you begin to dig behind what Jesus is saying, this is basically what he was saying to this American dreamer. You have failed to consider those who are coming after you. You have failed to consider your legacy. Jesus is could have said that this young man was a fool because of this legacy issue. We know that because in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said this. And so right before he called this young guy a fool, he said this. And he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he goes on to tell us back before where he said, look, you fool, you don't realize what you're leaving behind, there's coming someone who will simply take it, spend it. You've taken no thought, really, about your legacy. You see, he valued his life based on a number. The size and the number of barns he filled. Look, we do the same thing today. We stop and we say, well, Bill Gates is worth how many million? Warren Buffett has how many million? Oprah Winfrey has how many million? And we begin to go through a who's who based upon a rich list. I think Forbes magazine does this every year. Who are the wealthiest men and women in America? And you see, we get caught into an idea that believing that somebody's worth is based upon a number. They have achieved. They are successful. They have made, they had truly living out that American dream. He believed that his family, what his family wanted from him was his bank account. This young guy who has spent his life building barns and filling them and buying properly and reinvesting in his business had kind of come to the conclusion that, you know what my family wants from me? It's a number. And the bigger number I leave them, the more they will love me. That always works real good. And somehow we find ourselves, even to this very day, thinking that we can somehow buy our kids' affection. We make a mistake and we go out and we buy our wives flowers or we take, them, take her to a, a fancy restaurant or we make a mistake and somehow we're going to make it right by throwing some money at the situation because, hey, the bigger the gift, the more they love me. The bigger the rock you buy for your wife, the more she loves you, right? Well, let, let me just say this. If you do want to show your wife you love her, buy her a big rock if you can afford to. Don't stop doing that. But we know this. The biggest diamonds in the world 
does not buy love. Maybe it can show your affection, but it really doesn't buy love. So once again, Jesus looks at this young man and says, you're a bit of a fool because you have not really considered your legacy. You're seeing your value and your worth and what your family wants as what you have set aside in a barn. Look, it's time we all stop and take the time to consider our own legacy. There is nothing wrong with a financial legacy to leave to our kids. In fact, I want to say this. There is a brilliant thing to stop and help teach our children how to be financially wise. In fact, we're told in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, this is not up there, I didn't put it up there, but in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, Solomon, who was considered to be one of the richest or the, the wisest and richest men of his day, he stopped and said this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. In other words, there's nothing wrong with leaving a financial legacy. It's good to change your family's financial situation. That's good. In fact, I believe it is our responsibility to do the best we can to leave a legacy. However, we need to be careful that we do not mistake the idea of a legacy as that which is connected to a number. Look, that true legacy that we want to leave is the legacy that we truly leave is what people really think about us. What people say beside a graveside and after we're gone, that's the true legacy we leave. The, the, that little thought of, well, you know, they left so many million is a nice thought, but the real legacy that we leave is that influence that we have left within our children and our grandchildren and our friends and our family. Not based on a number, but who we are in our lifestyle, in how we behave, in what we said and what we did. What is the real legacy you want to leave? If you could stop and really ask, what do I want my children to remember about me? What do I want my grandchildren to believe about me, to know about me? What is it we want? Look, I've sat beside a lot of guys who were getting ready to pass away. And I, as I've sat beside there, I've never once heard anybody talk about, oh, I wish I had another couple million to leave to my kids. It's never been the thought. But as I have sat there beside people who are getting ready to pass into eternity, the thoughts has always been about their grandkids, their kids. There's always memories about the time when they went to the lake. That time of, hey, I remember this time at, at one Christmas when, look. You see, there comes a legacy that all of us want to leave, and it really has nothing to do with our finances. It's nice. It's good. It's healthy. But there's a legacy that truly will last, that will go beyond, and it has nothing to do with a number. It has something to do with an attitude 
or a behavior? What is the legacy that God calls those of us who say we're followers of Jesus Christ? Look, it's easy to say, look, we all have this desire, this inbuilt desire from within our hearts to leave something a little more than just a number. We have this thing that's stopping, you know, we want people to look at us and say, truly say about us, he was a good man. He truly cared. We, we want that. We want our children to stop and say, he loved us. She cared for me. She was there when I needed them. But what, did, what kind of legacy does Jesus want from us? If, if we know from within us there's a legacy that we need to leave that is more than a number, what is that legacy that God wants us to leave? Uh, here's the beauty. The legacy that God asks of us is actually the legacy that we truly desire from within. And, and this is not new. We know this already. In fact, if we were to say it the way Jesus said, in John chapter 13, verse 34, Here's the way Jesus said. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. What does he say? Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. So as Jesus begins to come to us, he begins to look out at us and he says, look, here's what I want you to be known for. I'm gonna leave you a new commandment. I'm not talking about the 10 that we sat up on that we gave you on the Mount Sinai and we carved it on a set of stones that said thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. He stopped and he says, I'm gonna give you a new commandment. Love each other. Paul went ahead and he said it a little bit more and he said this in Romans chapter 13 verse eight. He goes on and he says this. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love. If you love your neighbor, you will feel, fulfill the requirements of God's love or God's law. That legacy that we are called to leave behind us is a legacy that is not based upon a number, but is based upon an action. To love. I, I know, I know. It, <sighs> to love is what we are to be known for. We say we're followers of Jesus Christ. The actions of our life is to be known for love. You know what the reality is though? For most of us as Christians, what are we known for? Being right, aren't we? The reality is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have heard this commandment over and over and over again. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's a new commandment I give unto you. Love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And yet as followers of Jesus Christ, what we have become known for is not our love, but for our rightness we're willing to fight hard for it it's nice to be right when you know someone's wrong you need to let them have it 
But Jesus stopped and he said, the legacy that I want you to leave behind you is not how right you have been, but by how much you have cared for others. We do not have to have a number to our name at all to leave a lasting legacy. Love is that which is lived out. Love is not flowery words sit on Valentine's written in a card. Those are nice. And if you've never told your spouse, your special one you love them, it's a good thing to do and do it regularly. But real love is not those flowery words which promises the moon. Love is a lifestyle that is lived out so when we tell someone we love them anybody can say I love you but it takes much more to sit down with your kids and read a story anybody can say I love you but it doesn't mean as much as when you ask someone tell me about your day Anybody can say, I love you. But when someone comes in with a broken heart, and you sit down and put your arm around them, say, I don't have the answer for you, but I'm here with you. Anybody can say, I love you. but it means something different to come home when you say you're coming home. Love is a sacrificial giving of yourself even when it's not convenient. In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said it like this. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus went on to give us this greatest demonstration of love himself. He didn't just talk about it, he did it. He stretched out his arms and he laid on a cross and he said, I will take the consequences of your poor choices and bad behavior. That's love. Look, we've talked these last couple months on what we all really want in our lives and that is to have peace, to be free of conflict, to be free from turmoil that rages in our mind and in our relationships and in our finances. And we know this, peace comes when we do things the way God asks us to do them. Today we're talking about an idea of leaving a legacy, a legacy that will help create a peace in your life. One that relieves the pressure valve of saying, I must have, I must leave a number to one that says I must give. The value of our lives is not measured by what number we put in a bank statement, but by that which we have given away. 
You know, I believe all of us, we know this. We didn't need me to tell you. You knew it. In fact, we have felt it within our lives from the very day we've been with our parents. We have valued, we have wanted our parents to look at us and to love us. And as many of us have raised kids and are raising kids, we see that same desire in their lives that they too want from us what we wanted from our parents. Yeah, a new mobile phone goes a long way. But what they really want is so much deeper. They want to know that we love them. The legacy that we will leave behind will not be measured on the greatest iPhone we ever bought for our kids. How expensive of a new car we bought them when they turned 16. Or what college we can afford to send them to. The real legacy that we will leave within our families and our friends will be based upon what we have done with our actions and our lifestyle. Were we there when they needed us? Did we care when they were hurting? You see, we all have a legacy to leave and we all will leave one. What legacy will you leave? You see, though we always, in the back of our minds, we know what this legacy is that we need to leave, we all still struggle with the fight, the battle that rages within that says I don't have enough. And maybe if I just get a little bit more, maybe I'll be loved just a little more. Maybe I'll be respected a little bit more. And God looks at us and he says, look guys, a new commandment I give unto you Love one another. So the question is this, what does love require of me? What does love require of you? Let's bow our heads in prayer. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and as the band is coming forward, I just simply wanna challenge you with a thought this morning What is your legacy? What are you going to be known for? When people stand at your graveside, what will they talk about you? Will they talk about your finances? Will they talk about what kind of an awesome car you had? Will they they talk about the pool that you had and how great your house was? And will that really matter? Can I stop and challenge you this morning? Let's not just get caught saying, yes, we, we, we know this and I, I agree with that. Yeah, we need to leave a legacy of love. But will we begin to act out on it? God, this morning, as we close, there is not one of us in this room this morning that doesn't agree with this idea that we need to leave something better behind us than simply a large bank account. We all want to be known as people who have cared for our kids and have given and sacrificially done what we could for our grandkids. And and Lord, 
we just, we want that. But yet so often we get caught selfishly trying to accumulate something more. We go out of our way and we get into debt trying to buy the bigger car and then we have to try to figure out how to pay for it. Father, we're caught. We're in a battle. We're in a battle with our emotions. We're in a battle with our wants. Help us to begin to set aside those things that war within our minds and to see the value of what we really have to leave behind us. And that is a legacy that truly gives and truly cares, that loves, that is not always concerned about being right, but about giving.